thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today we have the amazing Nat Kringudis on the show with us. Oh my goodness, you should see this woman. Absolute vision of deliciousness. And she's going to be talking to us about everything. I'm just reading this little bit here. It's about physical health and mental well-being and hormones and sexuality and making you happier than Pharrell Williams. Happy, 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 because <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear about everything that you've got to share with us, especially Nat. We are super, super excited for you about your publication and your launch of your new book, Beautiful You. Congratulations, sister. Thank you so much. Gosh, that's a, now I've got a lot to live up to. <laughs> no way, you'll get there easily. <laughs> thank you so kind. I'm really delighted to be here, so thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. We're so excited to talk to you about your story, your background, and again, you know, you have just launched this beautiful book, and I'm looking through it now as I'm sitting here online looking through um, your website. It's so gorgeous and it's, you've, you've not left a stone unturned. Start off by telling us a little bit about you and, and this whole journey for you. Yeah, sure. So, you know, like all of us, we've all got a, a story and well, actually I think we've all got many stories. But anyway, we'll, we'll start with the relevant one. <laughs> um, you know, 15 years ago, I guess almost, I started on this um, path as a practitioner and you know I wasn't really that person that had the story yes maybe I suffered from endometriosis when I was younger but I very quickly sorted that out but my whole um the whole way that this came to be was really based on my experience in clinic and when I opened my doors as a young practitioner I very quickly had this influx of women wanting help with their fertility and I didn't know how to help them. Um, the conditions that I was seeing were very much a result of our modern day living. And this is 15 years ago. We didn't have a firm understanding of the hormone imbalances and the signs and symptoms of those as what we do today. So, you know, I resisted that for a long time because let's face it, hormones are tricky and treating hormonal women all day as a new young practitioner certainly wasn't what I wanted to do. I was like, I didn't sign up for this. I'd really like to just treat gut health. Um, that sounded nice and simple to me. Uh, however, you know, it got to a point where I, I'm such an empath and these women needed help. And I remember having, you know, one day just thinking, fine, I'll just surrender and I need to learn more because I don't really know how to help these women. And yes, I'd done gynecology at school and my background's Chinese medicine, but I wasn't equipped. And so I asked permission from many patients to be able to practice on them, um, which is what we're doing anyway, really, we're in practice. So what was really interesting with that is that that continued to really um, propel me very quickly um, to, I guess, you know, in the industry make a name for myself. Um, but I really did have this epiphany at some point where I was fixing really broken women. And what if I could reach out to them when they were 16 or 17 or whenever they were getting that diagnosis of endometriosis or PCOS or whatever it might be? And what about if I could teach them from their, about their body from that point in time rather than them utilising the pill for 15 years coming off the pill only to recognize that actually their body wasn't working very well in the first place. And so that's really what prompted Beautiful You, this discussion around young women's health, because I think to really change the landscape when it comes to our health as women, we really have to be doing that from a very young age and even earlier than that. And I, you know, I'm keen to talk about that because I just don't think that we do that anymore. I find it a fascinating subject. The, the, the hormone topic is big at the moment, Nat, and so many people don't even fully, truly even understand how our hormones are made, how they're manufactured, how they're compromised. 
What is your belief around the hormone revolution as to why there's so much infertility, endometriosis, gynecological issues, all of these things that seem to be so highlighted in this day and age? Can you give us your theory on what's happening in a big picture, in a, you know, from a big picture's point of view? Yeah, well, like I said, I think that these issues are a direct result of our modern day stress. And stress isn't just being busy or having a deadline. Stress is, you know, it's a pile of so many things. But we seem to continue to, you know, go at life at this pace that our bodies aren't necessarily able to, coupled with external stresses like the environment and, you know, chemicals in our you know, coming at us from every direction, really. You walk on the footpath and you're exposed to them. Um, so I think, I, I really think that what we're seeing is a, result, a direct result of that. We know that pretty much everywhere we turn, we're exposed to endocrine disrupting, you know, chemicals. And, um, and on top of that, stress does the same thing in terms of being frazzled, being busy and the priority that our, our body places when it comes to this state, it certainly isn't on our reproductive health. So, you know, when it comes to fertility, yeah, sure, we're having babies a little bit later, um, but I don't think that's the factor. And I think part of the bigger issue when it comes to fertility is that we have this expectation that we're already going to fail before we begin. So that's the biggest challenge, actually. I can get patients to tick physical boxes. I can get them to get their nutrition on point. I can get them to be mindful of their work stress and their, their lifestyle and their environment and, you know, really go to work on the internal landscape of their gut and their liver. But... but the hardest part, mindset, we are all setting ourselves up to think that we're not going to fall pregnant because it seems like every other person that we hear of is having a problem with it. And so we focus on that. And that for me is the hardest challenge in clinic to really smash through is how I can help women to reestablish that belief in their body and in themselves. And that's again why I really wanted to have the opportunity to write Beautiful You was because I think that starts at a younger age. And I think you know, we really do have an opportunity to change this if we start to talk about it more. And I think that's the other problem is that we've disconnected as a community. We just don't talk about these things. We don't talk about miscarriage. We don't talk about um, needing to use IVF. Um, a lot of the challenges that we're going through, we don't talk about menopause. We just don't talk about it because these subjects for some reason you know, it's seen as a weakness if we are talking about it, yet never before in history have we ever not talked about it. So I think that's a, that's a big thing to bust through. And I, I think we're doing a better job. I think that it is starting to change. And the, just the um, awareness, the, um, the, the appreciation and self-love younger women are having in themselves, I think it's changing. You know, you only have to look, <laughs> you look out in the street. I was having this discussion with my mum last weekend. And I said, you know, power to these girls. They're walking around with the shortest shorts I've ever seen and their butt cheeks hanging out and they're, they're living their best life. And it doesn't matter whether they are, you know, a size six or a size whatever, they're embracing it. And I'm like, this is, this is good. And my mum, who is this generation before me, she says, but is it good? Because are they healthy? And I said, oh, well, I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion to have, but I think we're accepting ourselves once again and I love that and the rest can be dealt with. The, the physicality and the, the physical um, challenges from a health point of view, I think that can be addressed far ease, more easily than the mindset side of it. So I do love that we're having this conversation and I think it's time sensitive, um, but I, I think that part of the you know it's 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 an ongoing discussion that we have to have across generations to really make a difference you know what i find really interesting that is um you know you mentioned that we've lost our um our belief in our body our and, and i'm finding that across the board people don't trust their bodies anymore they don't trust um that their bodies will be healthy. They don't trust that their bodies will do the right thing. And so we're going towards medicine as opposed to other health practices 
because we're in fear and we don't trust anymore. Can you address how that is for a teenage girl, especially, you know, the trust of her body when it starts to turn against her, she starts getting, you know, acne or PCOS or endometriosis or some sort of chronic um, disease. Can you just address how do we give that confidence back to these, these kids? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think, first of all, we have to lead by example as parents. And I think a lot of us either aren't aware of the conversations that we're having in front of our children about how much we don't love ourselves. (laughs) Um, I know my husband and I did a, a health challenge a couple of years ago and we have a very what I would consider normal, um, healthy lifestyle. Um, but it was very much about, um, you know, really drilling down on nutrition and really um, moving our bodies in this way. And we kept commenting on how we were watching our body change and, you know, how interesting it was to, and it was a fascinating experience because this is what I do for work anyway so you know to actually really do this it was just it was a really I was thoroughly enjoying myself but at one point I heard my daughter say something about fat and I was like oh hang on a minute you know we had to catch ourselves and I said to him we have to stop talking about this because she's she's interpreting this in a completely different way than we are and it is that example that we lead and so I think you know it is difficult because teenagers depending, don't necessarily want to have the conversation. They definitely don't want to be told what to do as such. And how do we gently enrol them in, um, you know, this discussion without preaching? Because they don't want to be, they don't want to be preached to no more than you or I do. They definitely don't want to. And, and then they've also got, you know, hormones to match that, that are completely out of control and sometimes bigger than them. So it needs to be a gentle discussion. Um, I think actually the discussion around our bodies and the, it starts from a really young age. And I think children ask questions, and I know you've asked me specifically about teenagers, but I want to say this, children ask questions and we haven't, I don't think until now, done a very good job of answering them truthfully. We've given them answers about the stalk and how they arrive and it lands on the doorstep and that opens up another whole world of, well, hang on a minute, if something just dropped me on the doorstep, are you really my parents? Because anyone could have picked me up and, you know, it's just this cascade of lies that it's it's unfortunate that we don't feel comfortable having these discussions. Now, of course, it needs to be age appropriate and you're not going to give your six-year-old necessarily a, you know, biology lesson. But I think when children ask these questions, it invites a beautiful opportunity to have a truthful discussion to enroll them into the magic and wonder of their body. And I wonder if we were doing this properly from a young age, if this would create a different, different circumstances as teenagers because it wouldn't be scary it wouldn't be taboo any more than any other body function that we face so I'm asking parents to really reach out not reach out but have those age-appropriate conversations when they arise and you know I've been living this myself recently and I, I am upset that I probably didn't do it sooner with my Olivia's 11 and my daughter um, but she certainly has been asking questions over the last couple of years and I've been very factual in the answers. Now, you and I have a, an attachment or emotional attachment to a sexual experience, let's say. They don't. So if you just give them the facts, they're generally satisfied with the facts. They don't really um, go into the other side of it because that's not on their radar. We have more of an issue as adults um, talking about it than they do as children. So. You know, I've been asking parents to really try this where they can, that we're not wasting these opportunities. Children ask when they're ready, when, they, when they're curious, when they want to know. And then it, get, they, it gets to be this conversation that is a beautiful evolution over time that continues to enrol them back into their body again. And I love that. I think what's interesting is that as we approach puberty, I think it weighs in very heavy for a female because, you know, no, not really a, we're having, we're having the discussion with our boys, don't get me wrong, but the burden, I guess, lies on the female because all of a sudden she's of an age where she could fall pregnant. And so that becomes, you know, a big burden and something that 
it's not fun and it's all very um, scary. So how do we bust through that? And it is, it's by having these constant conversations. It's by leading by example and really, I guess, just continuing to play this supportive role from the minute that we're being asked, not from a time where a girl gets her period or she's diagnosed with a problem. And then really also letting these beautiful teenagers know that any sign or symptom that arises is just simply your body's way of communicating to you that potentially something has to change because it's telling you that something's not quite right. And if we look at it from this perspective, I think we can start to remove some of the fear and just make it all about understanding ourselves and our bodies. And it's not something that we have to necessarily be really worried about, that there's lots of people facing these same challenges, but it all comes down to how can we understand our bodies better and and have better communication. It's interesting, you know, you're the the discussion that you were talking about and you wish you'd started earlier with your 11-year-old. And I, I find, you know, as we know better, we do better. And I've often thought that too. I, and it's not just discussions, but what I did with them. And, you know, even though I homeschooled them, should I have homeschooled them more? So we're always going to have these as adults. But I have to tell you about a discussion I had with my 25-year-old yesterday. So it was on relationships. And then she looks at me and she says, is that all you've got for me, mum? And I thought, (laughs) I have no more. I don't know what else to say. And so I thought on it all night and I I got up in the morning and I swam on it and then I met her for coffee and I said, I do have something else to say on it. And she said, oh, what's that? And I said, don't let fear get in the way of what you really want. So, yeah, that was – but it took me 24 hours to come up with it and I've got a 25-year-old, so (laughs) – Totally, but this is the thing, and I will tell you something that happened to us recently. We that we feed the fears, no doubt, and this is what we have to break away from. Livia, um, you know, I've I've tried to answer over the last maybe two years when, and she's not a very worldly person, so she doesn't really ask a lot of questions because she is. I feel like she is, you know, maybe an eight-year-old trapped in an eleven-year-old's body, but. We've been having these conversations from a really young age. You know, you have eggs in you. Mummy has, you came from mummy. Mummy has eggs in her and dad has sperm. And, you know, then we'd say things like, well, each month that egg gets released. And if that sperm doesn't meet that egg, then the lining comes away and um, the process repeats. There was no real in-depth discussion about our period as such. It was more about the process of everything that happened because I just didn't feel like she was asking the questions and she wasn't quite ready. Um, and we've had a few of these discussions and I felt really satisfied and I was really happy with the way that we'd answered that. And then she came home from school um, earlier this year and I was sitting in the backyard in the sun, as I like to do in the afternoon, and she came out and she says to me, Mum, I need to talk. And I said, okay, what's, what's going on? And she said, I've got one word for you. And I said, okay, what's that? And she said, period. And I said, oh, did you talk about it with your friends at school today? And she said, no. No, um, the teachers pulled us all into a class and they taught us about our periods. And I said, well, you already knew about your period. It just didn't actually have a name as such. And she said, well, I didn't realise I was going to bleed. And I said, oh, well, we talked about the lining coming away and that's actually the result of that is you you actually do um, pass blood, but it's not, not anything to worry about. It's really normal. And she said, well... A couple of things, mum. I need a pad and a spare pair of undies today because it's going to happen. And I said, okay. And then she said, because you've told me I've been moody and that's what happens. You get moody and then you get your period. And I said, okay, well, yeah, that's really, that's kind of the way it works, but it's a bit of a process and you don't have to worry about it right now. And she said, well, mum, what they've told me is that I need to be prepared, that I'm going to have pain and it's not going to be very fun and I am probably not going to like it very much and she just kept giving me this explanation of what she had heard was how bad her period was going to be and I was so upset because this is what obviously I do for work but also you know putting the fear of God in an 11 year old about a period I don't believe is the best way to tackle it And I said to her, if that is the case, which it won't be because I will make sure it's not, 
but it tells us a lot about what's going on inside your body and you don't need to worry about it because we would fix that. And I've been on this train lately about what did your first period tell you or what could have your first period tell you or what will your first period tell you depending on where you're at in your life. But your first period tells you so much about your body and what's actually going on. And this, I think, is that discussion that is so important because if a, a young woman gets a period and she kind of breezes through it, I'm very certain that she doesn't really have anything to worry about. However, if her first period is awful, if it is painful, if she is in bed for two days, if it's heavy, and then let's look at that now. Let's look at why that might be now. Let's not wait five years to reassess that. Let's look at what we can do now to, to sort that out because it's treatable and it's just your body's way of talking to you. If your first period is or your first uh, you know, year of menstrual cycles is extremely irregular, let's look at that now. Let's look at what's going on. And Having the right pair of eyes on that I think is really important because it's not going to necessarily be amazing from the very first period. However, when you can understand the ebbs and flows and what happens in those first menstrual years, you can, again, remove the fear. You can look and go, it's supposed to be irregular at this point in time. Your hormones don't settle down until you're, well, we say your cycle should be regular by around 18, but your hormones don't settle down until you're around 24. So having these conversations and not fearing my irregular menstrual cycle at 17 is important, but we're not talking about it. We're just talking about period. We're talking about pregnancy and fertility as such and, you know, reproductive health in a way that we do, we kind of want to understand it, but we don't want that to happen to us. And it's it's not a positive place to be. The, I believe that the current conversations are not always coming from a positive place. So it's about having the education of loved ones as teachers, the curriculum, as parents, anyone that's talking about it to understand ourselves. We did some research when we released this book and we found that 40% of mothers didn't know the difference between their vagina and their vulva. How in the world are we going to teach our young women if we don't know ourselves? The other thing that we, we asked, lots of questions, but the other standout one was, were you satisfied or are you satisfied with what your daughter's being taught at school with regards to her sexual and reproductive health? And 80% of mothers said no, they were dissatisfied, but most of them didn't feel equipped to do that. So, you know, the book is a tool for mothers and daughters and anybody really who wants to help change that, that landscape to A, understand ourselves better so that we can then pass that information on to this next generation. Mm, I, lo I love it. I love We need this. We absolutely need it. I, I don't um, remember, you know, all of those things um, that I, whether I was taught or not or whether it was my mother that, that said those things, I can't remember. But when you were talking about how they are representing a period to a young girl, and I understand that this is what's happening now, but is this normal? Is this normal what we're seeing now? So for me, you know, I was someone who went through my cycle. It was easy. There was no problems. I, I flipped through menopause, not an issue. So to hear that it's painful, it could be heavy or it could be this or it could be that, is that good for an 11-year-old girl to have that? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's giving them a representation of what we're aiming for. Um, I think it's the same as the whole fertility issue. It's giving them a representation of what we're not aiming for. So I think teaching, you know, I think teaching them that there can be variation to that is important. And that that would prompt us to look further. But that's not really what we're aiming for, you know. That it, it needs to be more around, again, it's the facts of how it should be. And then should it not be look, should it not look like that, what else can we look at? Yeah. But I don't think we do that. Like I said, we fear the worst. And that's what these teachers were trying to do. And I get what they were trying to do. And bless them, you know. I think it's great to have conversation around it and it's, that's not how my daughter interpreted the conversation. She didn't interpret it as being positive at all. She was, she was mortified and scared and all the things that I wanted to try and um, not protect her from because it's important to be curious, I think. And there's a little bit of, you know, I remember being 13 
I reckon my mum handed me this pamphlet. It was about 16 pages and I devoured it as a 12-year-old. I was so intrigued by the contents of those 16 pages. I mean, maybe I knew that this is what I was going to do one day. I don't know. But, but I, I, was, I just remember thinking I just can't wait to learn what that's going to be like. There wasn't any fear in it. I didn't fully understand it, don't get me wrong, and I, I, I would have loved a better conversation around it. And certainly for my mum, you know, she did what was appropriate at the time. She definitely gave that information. But, you know, I wasn't prompted to investigate what it looked like down there and and I had no idea I probably didn't get a mirror out until I was in labor that was the first time I probably looked down there because no one had encouraged me to do that you know um and again where the idea of doing that for many would be that's dirty that's disgusting but I mean every other body part I'm pretty sure I've I've looked at so why would I shy away from looking? It just doesn't make sense. It's just disconnect. It's like that's a whole different part of my body that I don't really think I should know about. And, you know, what's interesting is in, in having these conversations, I have said to many mothers, I want this book in the curriculum. I cannot tell you that is what I'm on a mission for. And do you know what the answers of so many women, and this happens to me every time I present, Someone will say, oh, that's so nice, but my kids go to a Catholic school or my kids go to whatever denomination. And I'll say, well, that's great, but I don't think their anatomy is any different just because they go to that school. That's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, since when are we, uh, since when is it acceptable to push half of it under the, the rug and only give half of the information? I think that is really damaging. And, you know, I do talk about sex in the book in a way that is, factual and I wanted to in the end I because I wanted so badly in the curriculum I tried to write it without doing that because I knew that certain denominations wouldn't take that into the curriculum in the end you cannot write a book about reproductive and gynecological health without talking about sex that's ridiculous I I made that conclusion very quickly Um, and so I do talk about things like when is the right time to have sex should you be having sex I mean we can't answer this but what I said was you know this is supposed to be something that is exciting, that is healthy, that is, you know, if it's none of those things, if it's, it's going to be scary, but it's not going to be awful. But if it is those things, then no, you should not be doing that. And, and until such a time that it is in this environment, that is loving, that is supportive, that allows you to release all these hormones, that allows it to not be awful or not hurt or not, you know, be painful, then you need to think about, is it the right is it the right environment? Is it the right situation? And I can't answer that. But I think having those conversations is really important. And, you know, very often in an education setting, that's not always an appropriate conversation to have because somebody somewhere has decided that that's inappropriate for 16-year-olds to talk about, yet they're doing it anyway. The other issue that I have is that, you know, when we asked teenagers where they were getting their information from when it came to their reproductive and sexual health, they admitted that they were Googling it and which is fine until you land on a porn site and all of a sudden somebody's perception of what their first sexual encounter should look like is something out of, you know, a porn movie and that's not ever going to be any 16-year-old's reality. So they're setting themselves up with these unrealistic expectations on both sides, male and female, of something that they're never going to achieve. And so, again, having these conversations, to me, if we're not doing it, is such a disservice for young people and only setting them up for more anxiety, more stress, more issues. So we, we do have, yeah, we, it's, it's a really, again, and it comes down to also leading by example. So mm-hmm. you're right, we don't want to set them up for failure from the beginning. We don't want to feed the fears. We need to have these gentle conversations, which is why I'm saying, can we not start this when children start to ask the question so that it just organically evolves? You I think, talk, oh, sorry, you no, talked no. about, um, you know, a porn site. Well, I'm sorry, but movies um, are doing the same thing now. Uh, you know, I see movies that are, um, set people up for failure with, you know, the love stories and, the, you know, the way things happen. Uh, and it's not just porn sites, but it's movies as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think um, 
I see this in clinic all the time when patients, mothers, women, you know, in their, not necessarily just mothers, but women in their um, 40s and beyond say, I just don't have a libido anymore. And I'll say, well, you probably actually do have a libido. It's just that you are a busy, multitasking woman and that's the last thing on your radar mm. when you sit down at night. And, you know, I know this is off topic, but it's, it, you know, I remember I've spoke, I was speaking with Dr. Anna Becker about this and she was like, we've got this perception that we're supposed to be this sexually charged being all the time and that other stuff takes over. But if when you get in the moment, it's all fine and good and you can enjoy yourself, that's not having a low libido. Because you can, having a low libido is almost to the point where you can't actually even entertain that. So, you know, again, it's because of things like the media and the movies where we think that, <laughs> that you know, it's supposed to be this, this scene that's mind-blowing all the time and it's not always going to be that. So it is about having, again, about having more of these conversations, which I love being able to do and that you three are doing so beautifully and that's why it needs to continue to have these discussions so mm. that we can bust through this this unrealistic expectation in the book do you talk about um alternatives to the pill in contraception because i see so many mums like I, I we were um karen and i were actually away and i was listening to these two mums that were talking about their young girls and they put them straight on the pill it wasn't there was no question and i'm thinking why would you do that? The, you know, these are young girls. You don't know what that's doing and I understand it's going to stop pregnancy, but there are other alternatives. Do you speak about that in Beautiful You? I do. I speak about it in great detail because I think, again, information is so important for young women to know what they're putting in their body mm. and for mothers to understand the impacts of that. Now, think about this. If you're 14... Often the cat, look, hang on, the, let's, we, we say the pill and that's probably the most common thing that a teenager is going to be prescribed. They're generally not going to be um, fitted with a marina or an IUD. They're going to use the pill is the most common thing definitely. So let's talk about it that way. Um, it is, well, it's one thing to use the pill for contraception and I think if you're making that informed choice, that's one thing and I'll talk about that as a sidestep in a second. But we are using it to quote-unquote, treat problems that it can't treat. One of the main things that we'll use it for is amenorrhea. So a 14-year-old, their, their hormonal axis hasn't developed. For whatever reason, yes, as a mother, you're worried about that, so you take your daughter off to the doctor and the doctor says, that's no problem, let's just put her on the pill and we'll, we'll see if we can get her body to start cycling. Unfortunately, the pill can't do that. It shuts everything down. It does the exact opposite to what you want it to do in this instance. And very often what I see in the clinic is this 14-year-old will only start to think about coming off the pill when they're 24 or 25 because they've started reading about all the other awful signs and symptoms that they're now experiencing that were never addressed when they were 14 that should have been addressed. But the biggest problem with this is what you've done to that 14-year-old is actually shut down her process of puberty when you come off at 24, you've got to start that back up again. You're just delaying the process by however many years that that's going to take and it's going to be different for everybody. So that's where I have a massive issue with using the pill because it can't treat these problems, even if it's period pain or PMS or acne or we use it for so many things. They are all treatable conditions but not to, more to the point that's your body's way of telling you something's not right. And unfortunately, the pill can't fix that. Now, I'll say for some people, it could be a short-term solution. If you're heavily bleeding and having to take four days off school every month, that might give you some relief throughout an exam period, let's say. Um, it's not ideal and I wouldn't be, you know, I'd still be prompting that, but you've got to look at the scenario. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but is it, is it the best long-term solution? I can pretty much say in 9.8 9 times out of 10, no, it is not. It's never going to give you a long-term solution. It can't do that. Um, so I think really having these discussions, the pill severely disrupts gut function. It, it, it shuts down the hormones. It um, depletes vitamin and mineral stores. It basically does everything you don't want it to do for a developing woman. So it's an awful idea. Um, when we talk about contraception for young women, I think that's an important discussion to have too because 
part of the reason we're in this position with our fertility is because we've never understood our bodies properly because we never had an opportunity to because we were prescribed the pill when we were 16 and we've never had to think about it and you know I've gotten a lot of hot water over the years for saying young women shouldn't be on contraception and many mothers get very upset or feel very challenged by that saying how irresponsible of you to suggest that you know women shouldn't be on contraception I say how irresponsible is it of us to not give these women the opportunity to understand their bodies understand when they're fertile and when they're not I have been using fertility awareness my entire life I have two children they were conceived both months that we tried I do not want any more children that's just a choice and and I'm very confident in knowing when I'm fertile and when I'm not in fact I joke and say the only way we would have another child is for it to be an accident. And that's never going to happen because I fully understand my fertility and I kind of sometimes wish it would happen because it's the only way that it could. And so, you know, I know accidents happen, but when you really do know your, your fertile patterns, it's, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that that's something that is going to happen when you, when you do understand that because you, you can't unknow what you know. So I feel very sad when young women don't have that opportunity to understand their, their hormones and their cycles and their cycles give them so much information. I don't know why we're fearing that. But also to think that the buck stops with just passing your daughter the pill and not worrying about the complications involved with that, I think that's, that's really unfortunate because for me, if a, if a teenager is using pill as a contraceptive method and not using barrier methods, STDs are a massive issue for long-term health and fertility. And so if a young woman isn't using barrier methods, that's a really big concern for me as a practitioner. So we really, I think we should be encouraging, yes, we should always be encouraging safe sex, but we need to be having, it's, it's, it doesn't just stop with the, pre, the prescription of the pill. In fact, I think that only creates further issues down the track. So. I talk about all the different types of contraception in the book. I talk about fertility awareness and I teach fertility awareness um, in the book as well and at least allowing women's hormones to find their grooves. I would be saying to all mothers, let your daughter get to 18 before you even consider that because her hormones aren't even anywhere near balanced until at least then and if not beyond that and really messing around with with that hormonal axis is a disaster for so many women so i think this awareness is really important and and really thinking about what you are putting in your body as well yeah i couldn't agree more Mm, definitely so um your book's out how long has it been out so the book was released, um, oh, that's another, that's another whole fun journey. <laughs> um, the book was released, it was supposed to be released late last year and we had some issues. I, there was Christmas and all of that fun stuff. So it was been out since late January. Um, and, you know, I'm really passionate about spreading this message and, and empowering both mothers, loved ones and daughters to continue to have this conversation. Um, I think it's so important to understand. And I don't just talk about, um, you know, the physicality. I talk about our emotional health as well. I talk about relationships. I talk about, um, you know, trying to basically create the life you want, how we can use stress as a superpower. The book also has recipes in it because I, I mean, I know that more than likely your 16 year old isn't probably wanting to cook dinner every night of the week. However, you know, it is fun to start to enrol them in these ideas of food for balanced hormones. Um, so there's some pretty cool, fun recipes in there, things that they can um, make for their own lunches or the family as well. And, and I, I do believe that that's important because it's no point giving information without actually also giving, a, you know, a mode that we can start to, to implement that as soon as possible. Um, so it kind of covers a broad range of things. I do get asked who was it appropriate for, and I would say... 14 and above. Um, my daughter hasn't read all of it yet, but I have certainly let her read certain chapters of it um, just because some of those conversations we haven't yet fully dived into. And, and she's 11 and she's not very mature for an 11-year-old, which I'm really happy with. Let her be a child for as long as possible. Um, but it, yeah, I would say 
the other lovely thing that I know a lot of people are doing is reading it with their with their younger um, daughters, and I think that's really lovely to connect back with that opportunity as well to really be able to do that. You know, I um, on Insta stories just this week it was my daughter's birthday yesterday, Olivia's birthday yesterday, and I was saying to her, you know, it was I think it was Saturday on Insta stories. I said this time, you know, eleven years ago. I was in labour and I don't understand how something as, you know, as amazing as you grew inside here and then you came out and I said to her something along the lines of, how did you get out? And she was like, um, I know the answer but I'm embarrassed to say. And I said, well, you know, that's all right. How did, you, how did that all happen? Anyway, I got a few messages of people saying, oh, how dare you do that to her? Don't put her on the spot. And I'm like, no, this is why we are in this pickle is because we're not talking about it and it's fine to say you came out of my vagina because that's what happened you know and and then I got a lot of messages also saying more power to you that's great conversation we all should be doing this um I just don't want us to be ashamed about talking about our health in that way I really want it to be a healthy wholesome beautiful conversation that we don't need to fear and that's really the whole premise of the book is to try and bust through that I also understand that there are certain people out there that just don't want to have those conversations I appreciate that and that's another reason why you know having resources like this can help to to ease the load a little bit and it means that you don't have to have the conversation but you might be able to hand on the book and and know that your your loved one's best interest is being taken care of and that they can stop fearing all of that as well I think there's been like this big shift in listening to you. I think back to, you know, um, where most of the problem originated and, I, you know, religion has a lot to answer for when it comes to the way that women relate to their bodies and childbirth and all of that sort of stuff. And I think that what's happening now is there's this beautiful groundswell of people kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, you know what, all of the things that we have been conditioned to be fearful of or to shun away from or that are considered rude or dirty, those things are just as natural as my big toe. So there's no necessity for us to have such a stigma around it. And it's a beautiful groundswell that's happening as we evolve out of conditioning. And books like this and conversations like yours, Nat, are the very conversations that are beginning to open up the eyes of parents where they can say, actually, you know what, why have I been so uncomfortable with that? Oh, for goodness sake, I, you know, I don't know. I got it from my mum and they got it from their mum and then they got it from the preachers, you know. This is, yeah. So and so we're not, we're not in that um, we're not in that culture anymore. We're definitely not in that culture. We're in a culture of freedom and we're in a culture of where people speak freely and openly about things that are as they are. Childbirth is what it is. Girls' bodies are what they are. Boys' bodies are what they are. And I think that um, by giving people these tools, you're speaking straight to the parents who've been conditioned but know that that doesn't work anymore. So you're actually giving them a how-to because they haven't quite learned how to, whereas your kids, when they have kids, it'll be a walk in the park because they won't have that same conditioning and that same stigma. So I take my hat off to you, Nat. I think your book is just a beautiful um, testament and a beautiful uh, set of instructions for people to, like you say, open up the conversation and drop Drop the um, drop the old conditioning around all of it because it's it's not a thing anymore. I googled it and it's not, <laughs> it's not a thing. Totally, but this is part of the reason why I wanted this. I wrote this for me. You know, at the end of the day, I wrote this for me when I was sixteen, and I was I went to a Catholic school. I was raised to have a very strong Christian faith, and you know, none of this was allowed to be talked about. And I had to sit with my mum when I wanted to write this and say, hey, I know you did the best job with the resources you had, but there was a whole lot of stuff that was hidden from me and I don't think that's okay. And no matter what your belief is, you know, whether you are whatever religion or whatever faith, whatever belief, it doesn't change your body. (laughs) You still have the same, you have the same piping, you have the same hormones, you have, nobody's different here. So, you know, to not have these conversations and 
whether she agrees with me or not, she's still supportive. And I think I think that that's slightly changed their perception, my parents as well. And that was a big thing for me to, to face too, is to say, well, this for me is something that I felt like I didn't get. And, you know, I didn't understand. I thought as a young woman that if I had sex, I was going to fall pregnant. I didn't understand that there was actually a process in that. I didn't understand that I need to, you know, <laughs> when you work in clinical practice, so funny because, you know, I see all the women that are trying to fall pregnant and maybe my view on this is a little bit skewed because of that. But the process of pregnancy is almost like every single freaking star in the sky has to align for that to happen. Now, of course it happens. Don't get me wrong, but it certainly doesn't happen on every single day of the week. And to have that, you know, just to have that as a refreshing way of looking at how amazing your body is, I would have really loved to know that when I was younger. And potentially they didn't want me to know that because they didn't want me, you know, the consequences of that. I, that I understand that too. And I understand that, again, that was our, they had our best interest at heart. Like I said, however, young people having sex anyway. So let's empower them to do it in a way that's safe to do it in a way that's supportive and to be able to have the conversations, whether we like it or not, they're going to do it at some point in time. So I think that it really does open up for this conversation moving forward. You know, I don't think that our kids aren't talking about sex or are curious about it from a very young age. I had Taylor and Jacob at the supermarket one day. This completely floored me and I had read a book that said whatever happens with children when they talk around sexuality or anything. Just, you know, stay strong, stay brave, don't lose face and the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't expect this. So we're standing there at the counter and, and you know, putting things through on the, on the thing and she's beeping it as it goes through. And then Jacob just looks up at me at six and go, or seven and goes, you've had sex. Well, <laughs> that just completely blew me. And I've looked at him and gone, that's right. And then he goes, and you've done it twice. And I've just looked at him and I've gone, mm-hmm. And Taylor's going, Jacob, Jacob. And the lady behind the counter has got this little smirk on her as she's putting through my, my supermarket trolley things. And I'm just like, oh, swallow me whole, swallow me whole. Anyway, I looked and I said, what makes, what makes you so sure about you know all of this, Jacob? And he puts his finger, I don't know if you can picture this, but he holds his left hand up and makes his thumb and his first finger a circle, and then he gets his first pointer finger from the other hand and sticks it through it and goes, and that's what you did. Anyway, I just, I thought, oh my Lord, this is, is this the sign where I need to have this discussion? And thankfully for me, I had that book, Where Did I Come From?, which was a book that's been around for many years, um, a cartoon sort of book. And I said, well, look, obviously you guys are really interested, so how about we talk about it when we get home? Well, I think Taylor was mortified. I think I was more mortified. Anyway, we got in the car and I said, look, obviously you guys are really interested in, in how you all came about. So anyway, we got home, got the book out. They both sat on either side of the, the chair. They were absolutely intrigued and loved every single page, giggled a bit and whatnot. And that was it. There was nothing more said. It was quite open. And it kind of almost opened the avenue for when I started noticing changes and, and just would have the discussion. It, it gave me a sense of, of empowerment because you don't know as a mum when to say it. And then sometimes for the poor mums and dads out there, they may beautifully want to open the conversation and their kids go, ooh, yuck, don't want to have a talk. They, they actually find it very embarrassing or repulsive or whatever. What's your advice on how to normalise this? Or have you got any tips for the parents that get asked the hard questions maybe at a supermarket? And then what's your best advice to introduce it if you haven't got a child maybe that opens up because there is the internet and, and other friends and things like that? Yeah, I think it, is, it comes back to that whole idea of just being led by them. If they're asking, give, don't pretend that it's something that doesn't happen. Don't use it as an opportunity to have the conversation. It, like you said, it doesn't have to be full on. I know that um, Livy had um, sex ed classes last year and so it prompted a lot of conversation. Anyway, she came home and a similar thing and she said, hang on a minute. So she'd known about eggs, she'd known about sperm, she'd never asked how they got together. And she said, hang on a minute, if daddy has sperm and you've got eggs, 
how do they get to the one place? Because you said that one has to fertilize. I said, well, you've got to spend time together as a mum and a dad. You choose to make that happen. And I said, you, that egg has to be released and fertilized. That all has to happen at a certain time. And she said, so what do you do? And I said, well, you have to actually, you have to spend, you have to choose that that's what you want to do and you spend time together to make that happen. And my son goes, yeah, you got to get in bed and you got to kiss and you got to hug. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's seven. But that was enough. That was enough. And we moved on. Like I said earlier, they just want the facts. If you give them the facts, one of two things, like you just said, is going to happen. Either they're going to sit there and accept the facts or they're going to say that's gross and they're going to move on. Either way, they're going to move on. But I think, it, you know, there isn't a, there's, there's no right or wrong way. I think the wrong thing is to not use the opportunity in some way, shape or form to give them a little bit more into the inside of what their body does or how that, that goes around or how that comes to be. But certainly, you know, I guess all of us have been guilty of going, oh, ask your mum, oh, ask your dad, or oh, ask your mum, playing tennis between the two adults that someone has to have this conversation at some point. <laughs> so, you know, being led by them, you know how much generally they can handle. And I think, like I said, if you bring it back to biology, that always, that never fails because that really is the facts. So how do you bring it back to what the biological process is that's happening? Not the emotional attachment, like I said before, that we have, but the, the actual biological facts of what happens. And I do think that if we do this early, it's, it, it, it has to be far easier than if we pretend it's something that doesn't happen. So that's my advice around that. And like I said, I wish I had have done it earlier, just in the sense of being led by them when they were asking questions because I feel like that's the right time to approach it. Um, they don't need, like I said, they don't need a full lesson in it. They just need to have little snippets as they keep on asking so that it's not weird or gross or, you know, and it's just an, an open conversation that continues to evolve. Now, I love following you on Instagram and your stories and just how real and open you are with everything. And I certainly absolutely love your book. And I just, I would love it if you could explain a little bit more about the chapters. I know in there you talk about mindset and how the body can change and what does it mean to have a hormone imbalance. And I, I love the fact that you talk quite openly um, around even things to talk to your doctor about. Can you just give us a little bit more in-depth so that the women listening to this, the mums and the dads listening to this, because let's remember there's a lot of solo dads out there that may find this quite a challenging conversation. So to have a book like yours as a reference point for all the mums and dads and even the grandparents and, and, and child minders out there, could you give us an overview of what we can expect in that? Yeah, absolutely. So I talk about, straight up, I talk about your hormones, what they are, why do you need them, what are they telling you, um, I go through things like why have a period? Like what is that? It just sounds like something that's such an inconvenience. Um, I talk about your mindset, so um, how to actually turn that on to actually get what you want in life. Um, I go through the changes that occur in the body. So what are the hormonal changes that you can expect, what they look like internally and externally? This was really important for me to cover because I realised that no 16-year-old actually cares less about fertility. They call, there's the last thing on their radar, but they will care if you say to them, do you know that that acne is telling you this? Or do you know your bloating is telling you this? That's what they'll resonate with. So I made it, I did make it about the physical appearances and what that then means to allow me to dive deeper in. And I felt like that was a really good way of being able to have these proper discussions about hormone imbalance. Um, and then I go through the most common ones, you know, weight gain, skin changes, your breasts, how they change, what happens down there, why you need pubic hair, you know, um, what's PCOS, what are painful periods telling you, what, what does it mean if they're not regular? I go through all of the most common ones that I could think of that were going to at least spark more curiosity or conversation. Um, I talk about changes and challenges in the body, like emotions, um, things like other changes outside of the um, hormones, like, well, not hormones, um, I mean other changes outside of, like, gynecological issues. So I talk about things like fluid retention, um, like I said before, bloating, your bowels, inflammation, your emotions. I go through all of those. Um, and then I start to talk about your options. So, you know, first things first is getting a diagnosis, but what does that mean? And then I talk through, like we mentioned, contraception and other treatments outside of contraception um and then i talk about things like how to um 
how to get the best out of your health in terms of your sleep and your stress and your exercise and things like socialising. Um, also, I talk through sex. Um, I talk through the questions to ask your doctor. I go through a whole chapter of Q&A. I asked parents to get their um, daughters to write their most burning questions and I answered those in a Q&A type chapter. That was my most favourite to write because, you know, things like, um, should I have discharge all the time? What does it mean if it smells? Um, you know, using, again, those symptoms as clues, uh, busting through. There was loads of questions that were really interesting um, that I loved answering. And then that chapter on food, you know, what to eat, why you would eat a certain way, how to do that. Um, and then I wrap it up with a chapter on affirmations. How can we use all of this to actually take us where we want to go and not where we don't want to go? and teach them how to create positive reinforcement and affirmations to, to be able to do that as a tool. Um, I talk about other things too, like, you know, should you use a pad or a tampon? Um, I, I, I feel like I've covered all of those questions that you ever wanted to ask someone but never could or were maybe too embarrassed to. And I think hopefully I haven't left too many Stones unturned. I feel like I've, I've covered all of them. But um, the last part of the book is just some charts as to how um, allowing young women to map out their menstrual cycles to really be able to see any patterns that are forming. Um, we can do this with an app and I talk about apps as well in there. But I think something magical happens when you put pen to paper when you're looking at this stuff. So just really encouraging them to do that for a couple of menstrual cycles to really understand what's going on. Um, because that really is a big game changer for a lot of women as well. Yeah, so many don't even understand, you know, when estrogen and progesterone is released and how and why. And I think this book is just so helpful, like you say, for the mums and dads to feel more confident around the conversation, but also it's written in such a beautiful way that's so loving and so caring. And I'm so wrapped with that Q&A section. I just, there's no way we had all of that when we were younger. And I think it was just, it's just really, I want to congratulate you on behalf of the three of us. So I think the, the world has needed this book, Beautiful Nat, and you've done it absolutely wonderfully. I love the imagery. I love the feel of the book. I can't commend it to you highly enough. Thank you. I've enjoyed writing it and I'm really enjoying this part of having these conversations because my world's always been about fertility. Yeah. So being able to do this is just, it's really refreshing for me to come at it from a, a different angle. How can our young, beautiful young people follow you and how can our beautiful parents and grandparents follow you? How do we all get to work yeah. with Yeah, so I mean, I know that my audience is definitely the mother and that's cool by me. Um, but I am getting a lot of messages from young women and I love that, you know, with some pretty um, normal questions but really important questions. Um, everywhere you find me is just my name, Nat Kringudis. So Nat Kringudis on all social channels. NatKringudis.com um, is my website. And, you know, anything that you have a question around, I encourage you to use the search bar on that website and type it in. And if you don't get what you want, please let me know because I will write about it in a heartbeat. Um, but there's, you know, years of, of discussion on there, years of information on there. Um, and then, of course, the book you can access at all good bookstores, um, on the online major retailers, Booktopia, Amazon, um, and also on my website. So, you know, that should hopefully be fairly easily accessible to anyone who wants to get their hands on that as well. If you had a parting message for our beautiful listeners, what would Nat Kringardis want to say to everybody? Oh, I think the biggest thing we've moved away from is really tr trusting our body wisdom. So moving back to this idea of your body knows and it is talking to you and it's time for you to take a listen to what it's actually telling you and being able to, to tap into the body wisdom no matter what age or phase we're at, that's my, that's my greatest um, piece of advice is to never second guess that. If you think something's not right, not normal, let's explore that it's nothing necessarily to worry about but your body's really really smarter than we probably will ever give it credit for so coming back to that I think is really so important amazing Nat you've been spectacular on today's show you've given us so much information that we can work with and I think everybody that's been listening has either got extra questions that they're going to tap into your book to find the answers for their own families or they've actually had their questions that have been burning answered already on today's show so thank you for being so forthcoming and for sharing so much of your incredible message with us 
Thank you so much for having me, ladies. What a treat. So for all of our listeners, if you guys have got some more questions or you've got a little bit to um, you want to talk about or throw around, please go to our Facebook page and post on our Facebook page about today's interview because you just never know. You could be asking a question that many people are thinking of. So please head on over to facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also go to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. But most importantly, make sure that you tune in next week right here on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. See you on the ride. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.